Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here and we pray you get something powerful from this sermon. Father, there are no words to describe how good you truly are. And we thank you, Lord, that your goodness chases us, Lord God. We thank you that your goodness surrounds us. We thank you that your goodness blesses us each and every day. And God, we just glorify you. We honour you. We give you the praise and the honour that you deserve. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Feel free to take your seats this morning. If I uh, don't know you yet, my name's Jess and it's an absolute uh, pleasure to share the Word with you this morning. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you would know that we've been uh, looking at a series called Parables. We've been looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Parables are basically a, a story or an illustration that are used to bring about a moral uh, lesson or a spiritual lesson. And so over the last two weeks, we've had uh, Britt bring the parable of the sower and then we've had Mason bring uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. And this morning, we're going to bring a parable from Matthew chapter 25. And let's get it out of the way. It's the parable of the 10 virgins. That's what's happening. We're rolling with it. Get that out of your system now. Amazing. Great. So... (laughs) Matthew chapter 25, I want to give you a little bit of uh, backstory this morning. When Jesus tells his parable, he, where he's on the Mount of Olives, his disciples have come to him privately and they've asked him about the end of the age. They've asked him about the end times, what it's going to look like. And he shared that there's going to be wars and rumours of wars. Don't let your heart be troubled. And he goes into it and he, he shares about what's to come and the heaviness of that and the seriousness of that. And, uh, and what that's going to look like. And in the, that's in Matthew chapter 24. And at the end of that chapter, he shares a short parable that, that basically says to be ready. And then we get to Matthew chapter 25, which is where we're going to pick up from this morning. Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus shares another parable, the parable of the 10 virgins. And so we're going to read from there this morning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn there this morning. Otherwise, it'll probably be on the screen and I'm going to read it from there this morning. It says this, Jesus said, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Fair enough. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Verse nine, no, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Seems a bit savage. Verse number 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who already went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. 
Verse 13, Jesus said, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Can we just pray before we go any further this morning? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's found in your word, Lord. I thank you for the encouragement that your word brings and I thank you for the warnings that your word brings. And I thank you that all of it is put together, Lord God, to stir us on in our faith and draw us closer to you and prepare us for this life and this eternity that we can spend with you. God, we pray that this morning that it would not be my words, but your words by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that every person who is here, Lord, would they be encouraged in their faith and their walk with you. And Lord, would we hear your heart and your voice clearly for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Now, if you're anything like me, when you've read this parable growing up or whenever it may have been, or maybe even this morning if it's the first time hearing it, it can seem a little bit odd. Am I right? Like this story of virgins going and getting lamps. It's it's a bit random. It can seem like a bit of a made-up story that Jesus has made. And whilst Jesus has brought emphasis to it. The reality is that for the original audience that he was telling it to, the disciples who he was sitting with and that he was sharing with, this story isn't a a random, odd, made-up sounding thing. In fact, it was actually a, 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 a circumstance or a situation that they were all too familiar with. You see, at the time in Jewish culture, weddings had three stages. A Jewish wedding had three stages. The first one was the uh, engagement. And the engagement was a formal agreement made between the fathers. The second was the betrothal. That's the time when mutual vows or promises were made. And then the third one was the wedding. And the wedding would take place at an unexpected time, approximately a year later, when the bridegroom would come back for his bride. And so this circumstance and this situation isn't odd to the disciples that are sitting there uh, with Jesus when he's telling it. You know, it was typical at the time that when the bridegroom came back, it was kind of like the thing to do would be for the bridegroom to catch the bridal party napping. Sorry, to back up a little bit. (laughs) Don't want to leave you confused. Uh, It was customary during that time before the bridegroom came back, it was customary for there to be a group of women, about 10, who would stay with the bride for that year or so or whatever it may be, waiting for the bridegroom to come back. The time that he came back was completely up in the air. It was maybe a year, a little bit more, a little bit less, whatever. It was unexpected when he came. Nobody knew the exact time or hour that he would come. But when he did come, it was normal for somebody, another man, to come and announce, hey, he's here. And then it was also customary for those bridesmaids, that bridal party, to go out and to meet that bridegroom and to bring him back into the 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 house where the bride was to uh, invite him in and to then partake in the wedding together. That was normal. And so when, uh, when the bridesmaids, it was also normal for the bridesmaids to be sleeping when the groom arrived. The groom loved to catch the bridesmaids sleeping. And because it was also customary Uh, that you don't go out after dark without a lamp, it was quite normal that when the bridegroom arrived that the bridesmaids would have lamps at night time and go and greet 
the bridegroom. So in the same way that this whole sort of illustration and story isn't necessarily made up, the point that Jesus makes, his main point through this of be ready when the Son of Man returns, his whole point, just as that is uh, not made up and just as though the, the whole story isn't made up, that the same concept applies that there will be five people, so to speak, five bridesmaids when Jesus returns that are ready, not an exact number, and there'll be five that aren't. In the same way that, this, that Jesus is saying, you know, this story isn't necessarily made up, in the same way the truth is that Jesus is coming back. Just like that bridegroom, Jesus is returning. He's coming back to get his bride. And in the same way, there will be people who are ready to greet him, who are, who are prepared. And there will be people who are unprepared, who aren't ready to meet him. Jesus says, so therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And so it's important this morning that we ask, who am I? You know, when we tell stories to each other in our Western culture, it's... um. It's normal for us to tell a story simply for the purpose of entertainment. But in Jewish culture, when listening to a parable, it was known at the time that when you listen to a parable, the purpose wasn't to be entertained, but rather the purpose was for you to know who you were. It was normal that when the the person telling the, the parable was speaking about characters, it was expected that you were going to be one of those people, that you were going to be one of those characters. It was normal when listening to go, okay, which one am I in this story? And in the same way, when we read this parable this morning and we hear about it, as we think about it, in the same way, it's important for us to today think, well, who am I? Who am I in this story? And the reality is it's obvious that we're not the bridegroom. Jesus is. And so that leaves the fact that either we are the five who are ready, either we will be the five who are ready or we'll be the five who aren't ready, who aren't prepared. And so I believe that this morning there's three lessons that we can pull out of this parable. Because I know that when we leave this place, I know which group of people I don't want to be a part of. And so the question this morning is, which one are you going to be? Which one are you today? Are you from the five bridesmaids who were ready and prepared, or are you the ones who were there and thought they were ready, but in actual fact weren't? I believe there's three lessons that we can pull out of this parable this morning. And number one, the first is you need your own oil. You know, it can seem rather harsh in verse 9 when the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, said to the wise ones, hey, we're about to run out. Can you give us some of your oil? It can seem harsh. But the reality is that this parable is trying to highlight a point that there are some things in life that you simply cannot borrow. And our relationship with God is not one of those things. You can't rely on or depend on somebody else's oil to get you over the line. And even if you're in close proximity to them like the bridesmaids were, even if you're in the same room, 
Somebody else's oil isn't going to get you over the line. Not your mum and dad's oil, not your husband or wife's oil, not your best mate's oil, not Pastor Wayne's oil, not Pastor Ruth's oil. Nobody else's oil is going to get you over the line. You need your own oil. And can I, can I encourage you this morning? The point number two that I want to bring is that you not only do you need your own oil, but you actually need extra oil. You need a reserve. Again, it can seem pretty, um, can seem a bit like these foolish ones got a bit jibbed, yeah? You can almost read the parable and feel a little bit sorry for them. Like, oh, they were there. They had their oil. The bridegroom was late. Not their fault. They were there. They were ready. They asked. They were diligent. They asked somebody, for, can, I, can you share some of ours? They even go and get more. And then it's too late. But the reality is that if we look at the context again, in New Testament times, if someone was carrying a lamp, it was customary that when they carried the lamp and they had oil, it was normal for them to carry extra oil on their little finger by the means of a string. So when you carried a lamp around in New Testament times, it was normal, it was the thing to do to carry extra, to carry more, so that when your oil ran out, you had some readily available right there on hand. And can I suggest this morning that as much as it is custom and part of parcel of carrying a lamp in New Testament times to carry a little bit more, to carry a reserve, it is just as much the role, the responsibility, the, the um, prerequisite, so to speak, of being a believer, a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, that not only do you have some faith, not only do you have your own oil, but that you carry a reserve with you wherever you go so that when you run out, you're not dry, you're not left unprepared, you're not empty, but that you carry with you what is needed to last the journey. You carry that bit extra with you. I believe, church, that we ought to be walking around not with an oil, let's say that this oil represents, you know, our relationship with God, our faith with Him, our readiness to meet Him. We ought not walk around with enough to last a little while, hey? Not enough to, when it's used up, somebody could mistake you as being empty, Not a little bit that when life comes and throws its hardships at you, you've got nothing to draw from. But we ought to walk around, carry with ourselves an extra reserve. Can I suggest this morning that coming to church may be the oil in your lamp, but it is not the reserve. A reserve is intentionally built up over time. And you... The only way you can get to church on a Sunday morning and it be a reserve is if you're already filled up from the week beforehand. And then you get to church and you praise and worship God and you commune with others and you draw near to Him and then that's the reserve. There's your overflow. But if we come here empty, hanging on, expecting that this would be our reserve or our overflow without filling up beforehand, it won't. And it never will. A reserve is intentionally built up over time. So how do you get extra? 
How do we get this oil in our lamps? And how do we get extra, enough to last a journey, ready to meet Jesus face to face, enough to be the one that's welcomed in? Yes, it's by the grace and mercy and power of God. I believe that. But Jesus gives this warning for a reason, hey? He says, be ready. You don't know the day or the hour, so be ready. So how do we be ready? How do we have this extra that's required of us? I reckon it's pretty simple. You make a trade. You know, in verse 9, the, the wise virgins say to the foolish ones, we don't have enough, go get some for yourself. And so the foolish ones go off to get it and they go off to buy it. And when they uh, were to buy more oil or when the wise ones bought that extra oil that they had, they had to trade something. And in, in, in Palestine at the time, olive trees, by the way, were in abundance. They were everywhere. So olive oil was really easy to get. All you had to do basically was buy it. If you weren't the one preparing it, making it, whatever, all you had to do was buy it. So you had to buy it. What do you do when you buy something? You got your money and you trade it. You trade it. I believe this morning that if we want the extra oil, it's actually quite simple. You have to make a trade. You have to make a trade. Trade something for something else. How do we get extra oil this morning? We make a trade. I'm going to trade my time to relax with drawing near to God. I'm going to trade my sleeping for getting up early and being in the presence of God. I'm going to trade filling my mind with earthly material movies, music, whatever, all the time for something that's going to bring truth and life. I'm going to trade what brings comfort now for what has eternal value. You make a trade. You know, at the end of the day, people make a trade based on what they think is most important. You know, you've got something and you want that other thing more you want to buy it, you want to trade it. At the end of the day, that's because you're putting more value on that other thing. You're saying, what I've got, cool, but that's more important, that's better. I need or want that more, so I'm going to give what I have to get that. comes down to what you value, what you prioritise. I think this all comes back down to a question of the heart. What... Do you prioritise? Because the Bible says what, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Comes back to a question of the heart. What do you treasure this morning? What do you value most? Is it knowing Christ? Is it Him? Is it truly being in relationship with Him? Is that what you value most? Is that what's most important? Is that what you need, that, that what you want to trade for? You know, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 12, it says this, it says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from 
the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I wanna know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, what do you need to trade in order to know Christ? At the end of the section, at the end of the parable, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, I never knew you. Jesus has gone and paid the price on the cross. Salvation is a gift readily available for us, free of charge, given as a gift. God's already said, I'm here for you, my son, my daughter. The onus is on us how we respond. It's on us how we respond. And so can I ask you this morning, what do you need to trade in order to know Him more intimately, more deeply than you sit here today already knowing Him? What do you need to trade? And that thing that you need to trade, is it garbage to you, like Paul says? Is it worthless? Is it whatever? Because it doesn't, nothing comes close to the treasure that it is to know Christ, to be in relationship with Him, the one in which we were made to know and be in relationship with. Is it rubbish? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And where your heart is, your priority is. And whatever we prioritise, we're most prepared for, right? Whatever matters to us most, we find ourselves being most prepared for. I believe Bruce quite prepared in her relationship with God, but she loves Christmas. So she's getting prepared for Christmas. As far as I know, she's got presents up in her cupboard for the whole year to bless her grandkids. Because it matters to her. So she's prepared. Because that matters. You spend one second with Ruth in her home, you realise that her grandkids matter to her. Christmas matters to her. You'll see her collection of the Christmas presents. She's prepared because it matters. She values it. Can I ask you this morning, what do you value? Because whatever you value, if you evaluate your life, will show you what you're most prepared for. And whatever you're most prepared for might tell you what you actually value the most. It might reveal whether you value Christ and knowing Him. And that therefore might reveal also where your oil is at this morning. You know, these days it's, um, it's so much easier for us to get that extra oil. You know, in Palestine, as I said, like olive trees were in abundance. They were everywhere. Olive oil was easy to buy, it was readily available, it was lit to get extra, would be, I know it's figurative, but would have been at the fingertips of the virgins to buy. 
that extra wouldn't have been hard to come by. It would already been through the whole process of the olives had been grown, they'd been washed, they'd been crushed, they'd been picked and pressed. They were made into oil. All they had to do was trade something and get it. The hard yards had been done. They didn't probably have to go through any manual labor unless that was their job or whatever to get that oil. The hard work had been done. Can I suggest this morning that the hard work has actually already been done for us? Jesus has endured the cross for us. So no longer do we have to go and offer sacrifices, sin offerings, do a lot. It's actually become quite simple. It's actually become quite easy for us. I know it can be hard. I know it can take prioritizing and the, and the giving and the trading of something, but relationship with Christ and knowing him, the hard yards have been done. The Bible's in English for us here today. It's easy to get a copy of the Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. It's right there for the taking to read his word every day. We've got iPhones, iPads, Bible apps, scriptures, sermons. There's been beautiful worship music that's been written for us to simply join in and sing along with, no matter how we sound. It's quite simple. The hard yards have been done for us. It's easy, so much easier. And I'm not promoting a lazy faith in any way, but what I'm simply trying to say is a lot of the hard work has been done in relationship with God and and truly knowing Jesus is at hand. The extra oil that you need today is actually at the taking, readily available at hand. We don't have to go through a huge process to get that oil, but we might have to trade something. So what do you need to trade this morning? What do you need to give up in order to have that extra oil this morning? What are you prioritising today and what are you going to prioritise tomorrow in order to be prepared? This might sound hard-hitting. Blame Mason, he picked the parable. Just kidding. But the reality is that Jesus has given this parable to us because he wants us in his mercy and his grace to be ready. Jesus is coming back and we ought to be prepared. He says, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The point of this parable is quite simple, be ready. And you might think, oh, well, this probably isn't going to affect me. You know, I don't think Jesus is coming in my lifetime. Can I suggest the foolish virgins didn't think Maybe that way, thought that way too, and they weren't ready. But can I suggest, you might think that this is, um, this won't affect me. Let's remember that Jesus said that he will come like a thief in the night. And so you can't necessarily think that way. But even so, let's just assume that it's not in our lifetime, because it may not be. Whether it be through Jesus coming in his second coming, that we meet him face to face. The reality is that we all will meet him face to face. Whether that be through him coming to earth again, his second coming, or whether that be through death, some stage or another, we are all going to meet him face to face. And then you might think, well, okay, if it's through death, I'm young, I've got 80 years or whatever. 
One, never guaranteed tomorrow. And two, even if you were, this life is but a breath. It's but a breath. So either which way, however you look at it, the call is for me and you and everyone in this room to be prepared. Because Jesus is coming back. And even if it's not in our lifetime, we're going to meet him face to face. So let's be ready. You know, sometimes it can be easy to think, you know, like, there's too much going on in my life right now. How can I trade something and create time to prioritize God and to drawing near to him? There's so much going on in my life right now. How can I possibly do that? Can I suggest that this is probably not something that you can afford to be too busy on? You know, I get it. Life's busy. I get it. Kids, work, constant to-do lists. It's never ending, right? All of us in the room have things buying and vying at our attention. All of us. You know what I love to ask myself? One of my favourite sayings is in the scheme of eternity. I love to ask myself this. In the scheme of eternity, is whatever I'm focusing on right now really that important? Is it really that important? Because we're juggling all these balls, right? And we're trying to keep them all up in the air. And that's hard. And the reality is we all let some of them drop. Like it's impossible, am I right? Like, am I the only one? It's impossible sometimes to keep exercise, kids, enough relaxed time, work, school, study, keeping up with the news, visiting the people you need to visit, whatever it may be, keep eating healthy, keeping all this up in the air is tough. Am I the only one? No. Keeping all this stuff up in the air at one time is almost impossible. Can I suggest that the ball of relationship with Jesus is not one that you can afford to let drop? And if you're going to let some balls fall to the ground... Jeez, I've really got the cream of the cake crop or whatever with this. Anyway, uh, if you're going to let something slip, the one thing that you can't let slip is your relationship with Jesus. You can go have a roast chicken from Woolies and a ready-made salad, having some people over for dinner if you have to, instead of making a three-course meal, if it means you get 10 minutes to read the Word, to speak in tongues if you speak in tongues, to thank the Lord, to spend time with Him, to draw near in His presence. I love asking myself in the scheme of, and by all means, am I perfect? That there's absolutely no way. But in the scheme of eternity, is this really that important? Is it really that important if I leave the dishwasher unpacked and go read the verse of the day. Is it, like, is it really that important? Is it really going to matter if I leave the dishwasher unpacked? Is it really going to matter if I invite somebody over and the floors haven't been mopped? Is it really going to matter, you know, if I wear the same outfit to the party instead of going and buying the new outfit and spending my time on that? Is it? No. But is it going to matter if you keep saying no 
to spending time with Jesus and you keep trading that time with him for earthly, meaningless things, yeah, it actually probably will. It's the one thing that we can't let slip. It's the one thing that matters most. Carrying, not carrying, you know, the virgins, that they were all there, right? They all were there. They had oil. Really, to me, what this looks like is they're all there and they all had a level of faith. They were all in the right place at the right time for the first bit. They were all, let's say, in church. Let's put it that way. But they weren't all carrying extra oil and they weren't all welcomed in. Can I ask you this morning, where's your oil at? And a good way of letting you know might be in recent times when hardships have come, where have you ended up? Have you still had oil left over? Have you still had faith in Jesus? Have you still had thankfulness for who he is and all he's done? Have you still had the fruits of the spirit coming out of your life? Or have you found yourself dried up? You know, I wasn't going to go here, but I feel to. I'm going to close and if, I apologise, I did not notice who was on keys this morning. <laughs> you, Tim, you person who is wonderful and sacrifices so much time to play keys for us, thank you. In closing, you know, God doesn't respond to the dry and the empty. Those five foolish virgins were left dry and empty. You might find yourself here this morning feeling dry and feeling empty. God doesn't respond necessarily to if you're simply dry and empty. What he responds to is if you're hungry and you're thirsty. So this morning, if you find yourself lacking that extra oil that you need, and if you find yourself feeling like you don't have a reserve Know that His grace is sufficient for you and He wants to fill you up again. But if you find yourself empty in some capacity, can I encourage you, turn that dryness into a thirst and that emptiness into a hunger for Him and let Him fill you again. And not only would you do that this morning, but can I encourage you and me tomorrow, let's make it a priority to set that alarm, to get up early, maybe forsake some sleep. Because really in the scheme of things, what's sleep? Like we love sleep, but you veteran mums have done it before. You've had no sleep with your kids and you can do it again to know Christ. What's sleep? Like sometimes we think I don't have time I don't have time in my calendar to to have the relationship with God I dream of. Well, can I ask you a question? What if your life depended on it? Like quite literally, what if you knew that your life depended on whether you got up early tomorrow to spend time with God? Would you do it? I reckon you would. I reckon all of us would. Because all of a sudden an urgency would rise up in us of, I I need to do this. This is the sort of urgency Jesus is trying to draw out of us when He shares His parable. That, hey, hang on, 
you know what? Your life actually does depend on it. Your eternal life does depend on it. So this morning, this week, let's get up early, eh? Let's close. When we're tired and we get into bed later than we wanted to at 11.15, 1am, whatever it may be. When it's later, maybe 9, it's later for you. Whenever it is. When it feels later and it feels like you need sleep, can I encourage you? I know I'm getting practical here. Open up your Bible. Finish your day with meditating on the Scripture morning and night. Open up your Bible. Read it. Thank God for what He's done for you today. Spend time with Him and let Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday be your oil in your lamp and your Sunday morning experience, the oil that is running over, the extra reserve that you carry to be the little bit of punch in your week. Then there you're like, okay, now I can really share Christ with those in my workplace because I'm full to the brim. I'm running over. Hey, if you're... uh, dry or empty this morning. Jesus wants to fill you again. Would you turn that to a hunger and a thirst? We're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to sing about God and His goodness. We're going to draw near to Him if I can invite the band. But if that's you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. If you're dry and you're empty, I encourage you, take 10 seconds to let that turn into maybe some hunger and some thirst. A real desire for Him above all else. A desire like Paul that considers everything else in life garbage compared to the worth of knowing Christ, of truly knowing Him. And let's pray. If that's you, if in this moment you felt, you know, your oil hasn't been sufficient, or you're reminded that, hey, yeah, if Jesus was to return today, I don't know. I don't know if I'd quite be ready. Would you take a moment in your heart just to respond to Him and, and, and tell Him you want more of Him and tell Him that you want to be filled again and that you want to make Him your priority and that you need the strength to each day choose Him to value Him and to give up whatever's in your life that you've held more dear, that you've held as more important when coming up in a trade against time with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much. Thank You so much for Your goodness, Your mercy, Your grace. I thank You, Lord that You desire to be in relationship with us. I thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to pay the price on the cross for us so that our sins would be covered and that we might have eternal life with You, but that we might experience eternity here on earth in relationship with You. I thank You, Lord, for Your Holy Spirit. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You long to dwell in us and upon us. And I pray this morning for those here who've been dry and empty and who are becoming hungry and thirsty. Lord, I pray that right now, would You fill them again? 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you enable them to sense your presence running over? And God, would you give us the strength, give us, remind us each day by the power of your Holy Spirit to choose you, to prioritise you, to make what matters to you matter to us most. And Lord, we just pray that every person this morning who's in need of you would sense your peace, your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including service times and our live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.